Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Daniel chapter 4, Daniel chapter 4, and let's look at verse number 28. Earlier on in this chapter, Daniel... Daniel is hearing about a dream that Nebuchadnezzar has had, and this is the fulfillment of that dream. In verse 28, it says, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar 12 months later. So 12 months after the dream, the king was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. And he said, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my own majesty. And as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what decree is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You'll be driven away from the people, live like a wild animal, eat grass like an ox, Seven years will pass by for you until you acknowledge the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms of the earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. I want to use this this story, really this, this dream, and the fulfillment of a dream in the book of Daniel to talk to you about how to survive a mental breakdown, how to survive a mental breakdown. I want to use this story really to focus in on the plague that's affecting so many of depression and living in a, a, a cloud of darkness. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream earlier on in the chapter and he's sleeping and he sees this enormous tree. I mean, this tree is so massive, it touches the sky. Its branches reach out so far and wide that it can be seen in his dream, he sees this tree and it can be seen from the ends of the earth. This tree is prosperous, it's flourishing, it's filled with fruit. Its branches are so great that the birds of the air can find refuge. Wild animals come and find shelter under this great tree. And as he's dreaming about this, he hears a voice saying to an angel to go and cut the tree down. And the angel comes with a great axe and cuts the tree down. The tree has this great fall, and then he begins to cut the branches off one by one. And then something unique happens. The angel then takes chains and bronze and iron, and he ties off the stump of the tree. He leaves the stump and the roots intact in this dream. And Nebuchadnezzar wakes up. And when he wakes up from the dream, he's distraught. He's disturbed. He knows something is unique about this dream. This is not a normal dream. Someone or something is trying to speak to him. He reaches out to the prophet Daniel and he says, Daniel, do you have any idea what this dream could possibly mean? Would you go to your God and would you pray and would you tell us what the dream is? And what it means. And Daniel goes to God. He prays. And he gets the interpretation. He reluctantly shows up. In front of the king. 
and gives him the message. And he says, King, this dream is a personal message to you. God is sending this message to you. You are that great tree. And because of your pride and because of your arrogance, the tree is going to be cut down. You've got 12 months. You've got 365 days to change, to turn to God, to turn from your wickedness and to be kind to the oppressed. And if you'll do that, God might preserve you. The king ignores Daniel's wishes. 12 months goes by, 365 days. He's out on the rooftop of the royal palace. He's looking out over his kingdom and what he has built. And like he's giving a toast to himself. He says, look at what I have built. Look at what I have done. And I've done it all for my own glory and for my own majesty. And the Bible says, while those words were on his lips, he hears a voice from heaven that says, I'm taking it all from you. And the moment that he hears it, the second he hears, even the idea that he's losing what he built, he has a mental breakdown and a collapse. Nebuchadnezzar's background is he is a great king. He is a mighty warrior. I want you to think about his accomplishments. He was considered a architectural genius, not just in his day, but in our day. He created one of the, invented one of the seven wonders of the world. Maybe you've heard that of the hanging gardens of Babylon, a garden that would be suspended in mid-air, not connected to the ground in any way, but yet it would sustain itself. And that hanging garden still boggles the mind of men today. Nebuchadnezzar was an inventor. He was a genius. He was a brilliant administrator. And the Bible says at the time of this writing, he was in the palace of Babylon that he had reigned and ruled over for 70 years. This empire was the greatest empire on the planet. And he enters his house. He's relaxed, he's contented, he's comfortable, but yet he's also prideful and arrogant. And God, as a result, took his kingdom. And when he has this mental breakdown, I want you to think about this. It says his hair began to grow so long that it dragged on the ground, that his hair would cover his body like feathers cover the body of an eagle. His nails, his fingernails and his toenails would grow out to be like claws of an animal. And on all fours, he would run through the forest and the wilderness and, and he would make the noises of animals. In other words, his mind would no longer compute. He couldn't, he had no rationale. He, he didn't see himself correctly or accurately. He, he thought of himself wrong. He couldn't read or write. He couldn't talk. He couldn't speak the language of Babylon. And for seven years, he's talked to no one. For seven years, he's been isolated. For seven years, we see this great king is a broken man. This, this once mighty man is so broken. He's completely isolated and he's acting like something that you would never imagine. And C.S. Lewis said that mental pain, though less dramatic than physical pain, 
is more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases its burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than it is to say my heart is broken. Maybe you've heard the cliche having the blues and they say that this may be tied to maritime history. In the 17th and 18th century during long voyages, ships would often sail and they would lose their bearings at sea most of the time because their captain had died. And when they're trying to find their way to some port or some unknown land, they would raise a blue flag or they would paint a blue line on the hull of the ship. And what they were saying to those ports that they were entering, that what they were trying, the message they were sending to the unknown land is they were saying, we've lost our captain and we've lost our way. That's the imagery behind having the blues, just feeling off. And I think it's important that we begin by saying depression is very real. Mental illness is very real. It's as real as cancer. It's as real as diabetes. It's as real as heart disease. It's as real as arthritis. It is as debilitating as any disease or physical injury that you can experience. I love this. One person said that depression is the inability to construct a future, almost like you're frozen in time, unable to make any moves, unable to make any progress. And Daniel teaches us five things about mental breakdowns. Number one, anyone can suffer a mental and emotional breakdown. It can happen to the strong and powerful. It can ha happen to the educated and intelligent. It can happen to the accomplished and successful. The Dake Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar had a mental disease. This is a verifiable disease called Luprathy. And Dake says it's a disease where the person imagines they are a wolf. Think about that. Here is a guy that's so brilliant. He can invent one of the seven wonders of the world. But now he's so broken and so down. He thinks of himself like he is a wolf. He's out howling at the moon in the middle of the night, completely isolated on all fours, running through the wilderness. And what I want you to see is here's this mighty king that breaks mentally. I'm not trying to imply that that's what our mental breaks look like. What I'm trying to say is a mental break can happen to anybody and the swing can be significant. You can go from being on top to, to feeling like you can never survive the hole that you find yourself in and it can happen in a moment. One in 15 people suffer from major depressive disorders. A study at the Washington University School of Medicine discovered the hippocampi, which is a part of your brain, is depressed, in depressed patients, excuse me, is atrophied. The amount of years depressed determined the degree of the atrophy. Like a leg that's broken in the cast, and you can daily watch it shrink and atrophy. And over time, it gets to be so abnormally shrunk that you look at it and you wonder, can it ever function again? 
They say that depression can cause the hippocampus to slowly waste away inside of our brain. Less and less you feel human and more and more you lose your way. Nebuchadnezzar was in this state for seven years. Depression crippled a king. Mental illness crippled a king. His enemies could not cripple him. Great armies could not cripple him. Other great nations around the earth could in no way touch him. But depression and mental illness brought this king to his knees. So depression does not mean you're weak. Depression does not mean someone in your sphere is, is weak. It can happen to anyone. It can happen to all of us. Number two, trauma or chronic trauma triggers a mental break. For Nebuchadnezzar, it was the loss of everything he had built. A voice just said to him, your kingdom is taken from you. Just, he just heard just the idea that he was going to lose it triggered a mental break. In this story, it was because of his own arrogance. So many times the trauma in our life is self-inflicted. We can't blame someone else. We can't put it off on someone else. We brought it on ourselves. That's the story of this king. Other times it's trauma beyond our control. We had nothing to do with it. We were the victim of the trauma. The trauma found its way into our life. We, we did nothing to bring it or invite it, but yet the trauma hit us. And whenever you have a significant loss or a trauma, it can trigger a break. For most, it's a chronic series of trauma. It's over and over and over. This trauma and that trauma and this trauma leads to this one. And over time, it's like the cumulative overlapping of one trauma leads to a wave of depression. They say it's a complex series of external and internal or biological disconnections. So yes, the external things that we face can create um, um, chemical imbalances and hormonal imbalances. Yes, it's at times something that medically needs to be addressed without question. But the point is simply this. It's normally not just one thing. Imagine a bridge, if you will, and one trauma adds weight to the bridge and then another trauma adds weight to the bridge and then another trauma and each trauma piled on top of each other over time. The, the strength of the bridge is challenged and then one great cord that's holding up the bridge snaps and then another cord snaps and then another trauma hits and at first the bridge is holding. At first the bridge is surviving the weight and the impact but over time as trauma upon trauma is added at some point the bridge collapses and that's what happens during a mental break. It's just the overlapping traumas begin to add a weight that the mind breaks under. Luke 13 and verse 11 tells the story of a woman who has been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She's bent over and the Bible says she could not straighten up. The Phillips translation says that this was a result. This illness was a result of a psychological cause. 
So something psychological happened 18 years before that. We don't know what it was, but look at the imagery. She's bent over her head down, her shoulders slouched. And for 18 years, this is what she's like. And we would know that this meant, according to Leviticus, that she couldn't even attend worship in the temple. She was forbidden to go into the temple because of this physical uh, illness that she was struggling with, this, this psychological illness that was physically showing up in her body. So she was completely isolated from God's people. And the Bible says in Luke 13 that Jesus showed up. He went into the synagogue, and when she heard about it, she actually broke the law that was causing her to be isolated. And she walked into the temple, risking her own life and future. And the Bible says when Jesus saw her, he commanded that illness and that spirit and that condition to leave her. And immediately she was straight and immediately she was set free from that spirit. And she began to praise God and she began to feel a connection back to God and a connection back to God's people. And I want you to see the picture of depression, isolated, unable to, to straighten up, bent over, Disconnected from God's people, disconnected from meaning and purpose, disconnected from your true self-worth, disconnected from a hope for a better future, disconnected from relationships that can lift you up. And it was all brought on by a significant moment or trauma 18 years before in that woman's life. And for 18 years, she carried it. For 18 years, she struggled under the weight of that depression and that trauma and that psychological illness. I love the fact that Daniel teaches us that there are things we can do to avoid or heal from a mental breakdown. Daniel 4 and verse 7 says, turn to God, I'm paraphrasing, and be kind to the oppressed. In reading about depression, I read that they've discovered the neuroplastic nature of the brain means potential is not set at birth. I love this. You can actually strengthen and improve your brain in ways once believed impossible. Dr. Rebecca Gladding, author of You Are Not Your Brain, wrote, the brain and how we are able to mold it is fascinating and nothing short of amazing. Listen to what she's, they said in this article. There are a few things that can anchor you. Now, these things that are mentioned that can anchor you, think about what Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar. He told him the dream, and he said, listen, you got to turn back to God. Turn from your wickedness. Turn from, from your sin. Connect to God. And then he said, and be kind to the oppressed. So with that in mind, now let's look at the science behind how you heal your brain. The first thing that the article said is feeling connected to others will strengthen your immunity. Years ago, Sarah and I had a, a friend here in the church, and, and if, if I've ever seen, I, I know a ton of people that have ups and downs. I know a lot of people that, that have severe um, mental illnesses that they're dealing with, but this was the most severe I had ever seen, and someone that is such a strong person, such a godly person. And in every way you could ever think about, this person was handling 
that situation the best that they could, unable to sleep, unable to find the medicine to, to properly straighten things out. Every imaginable thing they had exhausted. One Sunday, we're in church and we're worshiping, and God speaks to Sarah to go to this person and give her an encouraging word. I don't even know what was said, but I can remember the moment Sarah went and hugged and prayed and talked with this, this woman. Months later, the husband sent me a message and said, for the first time in years, my wife is sleeping again. For the first time in years, she is making it through most days in a positive way. He said, though she's still working her way out of this issue, I just wanted you to know that the moment Sarah went and prayed for her, saved her life. Think about it. The feeling of connection. It was, it was the moment where she knew I'm not at this alone. I'm not facing this alone. I'm not going at this alone. And that, and I'm sure many other moments of connection anchored this woman during the darkest time of her life. God told Nebuchadnezzar, connect to me and be kind to others. What was he saying? He was saying life can get worse than you can imagine if you stay isolated. Neuroscientists say when we feel isolated, our parietal lobe becomes overheated. Think about this. Like a car engine needs a radiator to keep from burning up, we need to cool down our parietal lobe and our mental and emotional radiator is, the article didn't say God, it said meditation, but yet connecting to that which is greater, connecting to God and connecting to others is the radiator that cools down the part of your brain that if you don't, it'll overheat and cause significant damage. Again, listen to what God said to Nebuchadnezzar. Connect to me and be kind to others. Before we had any neuroimaging of the brain, before we could ever understand neurons and protons and, 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 and how it's all wired together, though we still have a long ways to go, the point is God made us and he knows how to heal us. Another study said daily meditation can reverse depression and bulletproof your brain against future attacks. It's no mistake that God said, meditate on my word day and night, day and night. Meditate on my goodness. Meditate on my faithfulness. Think about my mercy and my compassion. Get your mind off all the issues and all the problems and all the pain. Just try to even find a little space of time where you can begin to meditate on the good things of God and that you're still here and you're still alive and you might just be, you might be slumped over and you may not be that straight and it may have been one year, two years, or even 18 years, but, but you're here somehow. You broke the law of isolation. You've walked into God's house. And I just want to say to someone, if you'll meditate on his goodness, it can begin to heal your mind and your brain. But he said to Nebuchadnezzar, also be kind to the oppressed. So when I meditate, when I pray, it's with a purpose. The purpose is how can I live my life in a more compassionate way? If I live hard and if I live cold and if I live stubborn and if I live prideful and if I live arrogant, 
The problem with all of that is I remain disconnected. And the parts of my life that God has given me, my mind, my emotions will break down if you submit to that hardened, isolated, arrogant mindset. I know you're broken. I know it's hard. I know it was traumatic. I know the weight is great. I know, I know, I know. But listen, 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 pull back just a little bit and understand you can begin to say to yourself in the midst of my pain, how can I be more compassionate to others? Instead of living my life thinking nobody cares, no one understands, no one gets it, no one will ever possibly uh, relate to what I'm going through. Just stop, just stop, 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 stop. And get outside of that for a minute and be more compassionate to others. Listen, brain imaging at the University of Wisconsin showed that your brain lights up like a Christmas tree when kindness and compassion are full bore. God was telling Nebuchadnezzar, listen, you'll connect to me and you'll show kindness to the oppressed. It'll give you your mind back. And if you'll get your thoughts back, guess what? And you'll change your thoughts. It can change your life. And if you can change your life, you can change your world. It does not have to stay this way. There are things you can do was number three. Number four, it takes time to heal For the woman in Luke chapter 13, it was 18 years. For Nebuchadnezzar, seven years he suffered mentally and emotionally. And God deals in time. I love that Daniel said, not only will the tree be cut down, but it will be cut down and the roots will be left intact. He saw the angel cut the tree down. He saw this mighty tree fall to the earth. He saw every part of that tree, the trunk, the branches, the fruit, the leaves, all of it completely destroyed. But then he saw the angel take a chain and a rope and tie the stump and left the stump and the roots there into the ground. And this is the powerful revelation. What God was saying to Nebuchadnezzar is, If the tree would have been cut down and then the roots and the stump dug up, there would be no hope for a future. But because the roots were left intact, because that stump was tied up, what God is saying is no matter how far it looks like you've gone the wrong way, it doesn't matter how mentally broken you feel. What God is saying is those roots are still intact and I still see possibility and I still see potential in you. He was saying without question, mental breakdowns will tie up your potential. They'll tie up your future. They'll tie up your success. They'll tie up everything that once flourished, but it is not the end. It is not the end. One of the most important steps you can take in coming out of depression or darkness of any type is to trust that God is with you in it and to trust that he's never abandoned you and he never will abandon you. No matter how detached you feel emotionally, God will meet you in your brokenness. He'll meet you in your doubt. He'll meet you in that dark cave of depression. And not only can God meet you there in the darkness, God knows how to get in there with you and begin to step-by-step walk you out of the darkness. It'll take time. 
It's a step. It's a process. But God can bring you out. Number five. God can restore you to even greater than before. Nebuchadnezzar lived broken for seven years. And your Bible says that he lifted up his eyes towards heaven. Remember, he couldn't talk. He couldn't communicate. He didn't even have the words to form, to talk to God. That's how broken he was. But he just lifted his eyes up. And when he lifted his eyes up towards heaven, God said, go down there and untie that stump. He told the same angel that cut that tree down, I want you to go down. I want you to break those chains that are limiting that tree from having a future. I want you to go cut them and I want you to go break them and I want you to loose his future and his sanity and his mind and his possibility. I want you to loose all of that. And the Bible says at the very moment he lifted his eyes up, his sanity was restored. His mind was restored. His peace was restored. And then in verse 36 of that chapter, it says this. He was restored and became even greater than before. What was greater? First time he had this. It's the same kingdom. It's the same empire. It's the same mind. Everything's the same. The only difference is this time there's a humility about him that he knows whatever he has, God has given it to him for a purpose. So when God comes down and he begins to work on loosing your life, on tying, untying and breaking those chains off, it's for two purposes. Number one, to loose you from the darkness. To loose you from that depression. There are things you can do. You can take medicine. You can go get help. You can, but, there, but connections and making a decision to pray and meditate on God's word and making a decision to, to be kind and compassionate. There are things we can do. And as we begin to do, not only can God loose you from that and loose you from all the things that you seem to collect when you're in that kind of a place. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Because when you're just trying to survive, you're just trying to survive. If you go try to drill a hole in my tooth, I just want to help you out. I'm going to put something in my mouth to numb the pain before you drill on it. And when you're in a broken place, you do a lot of things just to try to survive the pain and numb the pain. All of those things that you collect, all of those behaviors, all of those tendencies, all of it. When God looses you from it, and he will loose you from it, number one. But he will also loose his will in your life. You see, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't just loosed in his mind. He was also loosed to understand the purpose that God had for his life. You see, I love the fact that God does not just loose us from something. He looses us for something. He loses you for it. You know, I, 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 can't, I can't imagine saying this any other way. Then God uses it all to where you get on the other side of it. And no matter what the losses were like, you look back at it 
and you see God somehow redeems it all for a greater purpose. And he restores you greater than before. You know, Jesus, of course, is the, the ultimate place we look for all healing. And a lot of us focus on the visible or the noticeable wounds of Jesus. We would see like the scars in his hands or we would see the, the wounds in his feet or the wound in his side or maybe his face so beaten that it's unrecognizable. Maybe we would talk about how the flesh, flesh was ripped off of his back. The noticeable wounds. But all medical professionals agree that based on the suffering and the punishment and the abuse that he faced, there were unrecognizable wounds as well. Internal wounds. Most medical professionals that study the effects of a man being bit, beaten that many times by the fist of other men and by the, being flogged with the clubs and the staffs and the sticks repeatedly in his head would have been suffering through his collapses and through some of his moments on the way to the cross. They would have absolute, he would have absolutely been suffering from a mental concussion. No question. And this is my point. Every wound has a purpose. His stripes are for our healing. Come on. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's the generational curses in our life. We could go through every wound, but it has a purpose. And this is what the Bible says. He was wounded for you. Every wound was for you. He didn't just die on the cross for our sin, our guilt, our shame, and our sickness. He also died for every area of our life that makes up who we are as a person, body, soul, and spirit, mind, emotion, and relationships. God died on a cross. He felt the rejection of those closest to him. He felt the abandonment of his father. The Bible says the sun hid itself and the earth became great and dark and the earth began to shake. And Jesus at that moment said, God, why have you forsaken me? And in the middle of all that, the wound in his mind was he was suffering a concussion. He was at the brink, at the brink of the worst kind of emotional and mental trauma you can experience. But he was wounded for you. Listen, maybe you feel like that woman you've been bent over, just barely dragging through life. Can I encourage you to break that law that the devil's whispered in your ear, the law of isolate, insulate. No one gets it. No one understands. And hear what Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar. It could just be, it could just be if you'll connect to God and if you'll do the work in being kind and connecting to others, that God can begin to lead you out of that darkness. Somebody said, no, 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 no. You're making it too much just about the Bible and not enough about the medical stuff. Listen, I'm not a doctor. I think you need to do whatever you should do. Do, do it all. I'm just encouraging you that don't leave the spiritual side unchecked because you're not just body. You're not just a brain in a jar. You're not just some, uh, you know, 
potion of chemicals and, and hormones swirling around in some bucket. No, you are body, soul, and spirit. And if you're going to get a breakthrough, address it through every means possible in Jesus' name. Amen. Every eye closed, every head. But matter of fact, I'm going to ask no one to leave if you can, no one to, to run out of here right now. Just give me two minutes, maybe. Just maybe two minutes. Maybe put your hand on your heart right where you're at. And I want to pray today that God will loose you, not just from something, but loose you to something. But before we go into that prayer, I want to take just a moment and talk to you of the beauty of Jesus. He really is so beautiful. This life is so ugly. It really is. Your sin is so ugly. Your rebellion is so ugly. But the Bible says it's his goodness, it's his beauty that leads us to repentance, that leads us to turning from our ugliness and turning from the ugliness of life in this world. And what I want to do before you go is not focus on the ugliness of your past and your mistakes, but I want, I want you to turn your eyes for just a moment on that beautiful, sinless Son of God hanging on that horrible cross. And he hung there and he bled there for you. His goodness paid the price for you. His goodness took on your sin and took on your guilt and took on your shame and took on everything that you and I have ever done, past, present, and future. It took it on. There's not one person in here that's carrying a sin or a burden that Jesus did not take on and carry for you. And my question is, why are you carrying it? Why are you living your life focused on it? When Jesus said, listen, I've already taken it. Give it to me. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.